So you guys should have the notification that we are now recording. It says Miller's recording. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. He's <laughs> like, what do I say? Hold on. You want me, are we ready? You want me to go ahead and get this thing going? Let's do this. All right. We'll go with a brief pause here for station identification. This is the Legitimus Podcast Network. All right, all, thank you for joining us today on the very first initial episode of the Legitimus Podcast. Uh, we have myself as a host, Mike Miller, from Double Bit Axe Company. We also have two co-hosts here along with us. We have Mr. Roy Scott from Vintage Axe Works. Everybody knows, big IG following. Whoa. We have we also have Mr. Chris Killinger, which I'm going to butcher this name here, Killinger Axe Tool, Floor Remodeling, Cement Laying, <laughs> Porch Making, and everything else that he has going along with his uh, uh, following as well. So basically what we're going to do, if you guys have heard the test episode, is that we got three guys that love axes and the life that comes along with it. So we're going to talk about axes. We're going to talk about life. We're going to talk about this, that, and the other. And I'm really happy and proud to have these two guys along here uh, on this little adventure. So, first of all, we should probably have a disclaimer, I guess. Uh, this is not going to be perfect. This is going to be rude and crude. And it's going to be real life. And that's exactly what we want with this. And uh, we're going to go for it. So, I'm not sure how you two guys want to start this off. Uh We'll have a little mini introduction, anything like that. Roy, why don't you start us off with? Oh, come on. You're already talking once you get going. All right. Well, okay. So, <laughs> see if I can possibly edit that, I guess. Uh, no, no edits. Leave it No in. edits. We're leaving it as is. Okay. So, obviously, uh, you know, hopefully we want to be able to provide this uh, podcast out there to the Axe community, be able to provide a little bit of knowledge, insights. Tips, tricks, all the stuff that I talked about on the test episode. So with this being the first episode, as far as I know, we don't have any kind of structure to this. We don't even have a topic no, really no. that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about axes. So is there anything that you two guys would like to start off with? Well, well I guess we'll do a little brief introduction or whatever. Um, okay, back to the introductions. And <laughs> a little bit of... Maybe just a little history on who we are, how we got here, how we know each other, all that sort of stuff. Because I don't know. Um, I've always I've always known of you, Miller. Um, I know you're Double Bit Axe Company now, but you've always been uh, operator 1975 in my mind. So um, whenever I got into axes years and years ago, I would get on blade forms and. Uh, try to find out any info that I could about what I was looking at at a junk store or whatever. And nine times out of ten, Operator 1975 stuff would pop up. And I've always, I've always had a huge amount of respect for you and what you've done over the years. You've compiled this catalog of axe knowledge that is kind of unbelievable. And if anyone doesn't know what that stuff is, they are, well, they don't know shit. Um, so I've always, I've always looked up to you 
uh, in that way and to finally <laughs> and to finally meet you and hang out with you and now we're buddies it's just really freaking cool um, oh good come on <laughs> uh, it's just really cool and and uh, I'm, I'm excited to do this to, to be part of you two fucking fools <laughs> Keller, why don't you take over? I'm going to have to go grab a tissue, I think, here, <laughs> in order to get myself right for the rest of the podcast. Uh, I just want to say thanks, guys, for having me a part of the team, the dream team here. It is the dream team. <laughs> in terms of uh, Matt Justice, hey, who are the heavy hitters? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I got, I'll back Roy up with that, the operator 1975, as long as I've been collecting axes, I've known that name. So, that's just, that should speak volumes to anybody in the, the axe community, because you, you can't research an axe without seeing operator 1975. And his, his knowledge on it is unreal. So, thanks, Miller. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so, all right this is where we're going with all this so why is your face so right <laughs> so, the three of us um we've only been hanging out and known each other since your get together when was that uh chris is that uh, january february january february i think it was february february so that's when the three of us Finally got together. So Chris and I, we've been hanging out for a little over a year now. Mil and we've been chit-chatting with Miller, but face-to-face, -face, first time in February. Yeah. And then we went to New York together, and you all slept in the same hotel room. And we and bonded. Just, we'll just leave it at that. Hey, whatever you're jealous. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was definitely a bonding experience. There's uh there's no doubt about that. <laughs> uh, but no, this whole uh this whole adventure and uh everything that comes along with it has been really awesome and just being able to talk about axes and share everything, meet the different guys. Obviously I'm way behind on all the axe meetups and everything that goes along with that with work and uh that's really been pissing me off. So we gotta make that change here in the in the upcoming future. Especially to be able to get out there, show some of the pieces, share that history, see what other guys are into, what they have going on. Uh, obviously, guys have their own niches. You know, some of the guys are European guys. Some of the guys are just straight Kelly guys. And that's really interesting to me because you have this big historical axe, you know, barrel to pick from. And some guys are into the individual things. So that's really cool as well. So. Yeah, I'm excited. This whole thing, I want to do this every day, which obviously is not going to happen. But uh, uh, we'll make it work. We'll get it out there. We'll get it going. So I'm excited. If anybody hasn't figured that out yet. So that being said, um, what kind of what kind of guy are you then, Miller? Are you a Kelly guy, a plum guy? I know you got your plum freaking. Um, you got the whole wall done up in plum. I know you've got. Tons of Kellys. You got tons of Sagers. Um, you got tons of Warren. So are you, what would you consider yourself then? 
That's a good question. I get that question all the time. And over the course of time, I've answered that probably five different ways. Uh, I love them all. There's no way of getting around it. Obviously, there's some of those that hold uh, historical, traditional, and special values. Uh, they talk about, you know, the Black Ravens. And obviously, I have the Black Raven collection. Uh, Kelly Registered is another one that comes out there. The Lincoln Axe. Uh, you know, the Sagers, things like that. So being in Pennsylvania, I have pretty close proximity, obviously, to Warren, Mann, and Plum. Those three hold the first sort of candle to the heart, I guess. That's probably a terrible term. Um, Warren is the closest man. Obviously, I see a lot of those in my area with Ohio, PA, and New York. Sure. I don't know if I really have a favorite. It, it, you know, you'll ask me this next week and I'll be like, oh my God, I love Warren. You'll ask me two weeks from now and be like, oh my gosh, I, I'm all about Kelly. So I don't know if there is really one. Um, probably the one that really got me going on this whole thing was a, and I told you guys this story, it was a Boy Scout hatchet right, right, right. that was made by Plum. So probably if I had to really get back to the root. Wait, but stop right there. You told me. And Chris Plunger was asleep, and he was acting like. <laughs> so I don't know if he heard the whole story about the Boy Scout hatchet. I don't know, Keller. Did you? You you were a little asleep there that night. I don't remember. Oh Tell my us- goodness! <clears throat> Tell us again. The whole world wants to hear. The whole world wants to hear. So one of the axes that originally got me into axe collecting was a. Uh, a plum boy scout hatchet that my old man had brought back from a flea market that he bought for, I believe it was $2. It was either a dollar or $2. I'm going to say two. He was pretty much proud as a peacock and he showed me the hatchet. And whenever we grew up, we grew up, uh, we burned wood all the time for heat cut somewhere in the neighborhood at 10 to 12 cords a year. And we had axes, but they were all beater axes. I can still see the one. It was an old blue Collins axe. Uh, basically like a boy axe that we would use for pounding wedges and stuff like that. But anyways, he comes home from the flea market. He has this Boy Scout hatchet, and I'm looking at it, and I was familiar with the Boy Scouts. I knew about them, but I didn't know about that Boy Scout logo or that imprint. And I was like, what is this? And he's like, oh, that's, a, that's a Boy Scout hatchet. I'm like, I didn't even know at that time that that really existed. And I was like, look at this, you know, this marking on there. Like, why would somebody put a marking on this axe? Because I was familiar with just beating the piss out of these axes all the time. And I was like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. And so I got that axe, that hatchet. He basically gave it to me, and I was looking at it. And back then, obviously, the research online was a lot more limited than what it is now. And I started looking at that, going to flea markets. You know, you buy a plum, you buy a man. And then you start getting into some of those imprints and the logos. And I'm like, why is this on there? What does that mean? What's the significance? Why would you even do that for something that, in my mind at that time, we literally beat the piss out of all the time? Sure. And then once you start getting in there and then the historical piece with Tom Lamond and his research and what some other guys had, the forums, things like that, it it was over. So that little Boy Scout hatchet made by Plum started this whole entire craze that has now manifested into whatever we want to call this. It's uh, really been a journey. 
the largest stock collection. That's what it's turned into. It's it's probably yeah it's it's up there. So, <laughs> what would you say, Killer? Does he, do you still have that, Miller? My old man has the hatchet. I gave it back to him. That's awesome. Okay. What was your first East Killer? I don't think I've heard that story. Or did you? You know, it wasn't any, <clears throat> wasn't anything as significant, and I don't even remember. I've always been into collecting tools and axes back then. This is probably early my early twenties, so almost twenty years ago. Back then, the, when you walked in the antique store, there were axes everywhere, and uh, I was into collecting hand tools. And axes were cheap, so <coughs> one day I'd, I was in an antique store, and like I think I want to say it was a master mechanic, like Michigan pattern, it was probably the first one. Yeah, it just it just caught my eye. And then uh very shortly after that, I bought one of those doorstop king cutter hewing hatchets that, that's all cast iron yeah. with a raised letter. Yep. I don't even have that anymore. Um, and then I had an east wing uh, hatchet with the leather handle. Those were the th- I think those were the first three. Interesting. So my first axe, if you guys want to know. Um, so I got in, I got into axe collecting because of uh, Dick Pernecki, um from the PBS special "Alone in the Wilderness" or "One Man's Wilderness." I, I never know. I never know which which title's right. But uh, I was actually I read that book many many years ago, and then I revisited it as I was a. Uh, a recreation specialist for criminally insane people. And I was reading the book. And while I'm reading this book to my patients, um, it's this like, good God, why don't I have any of these tools? So I immediately went to all these local junk stores and whatever. And I, I didn't know anything about axes. Um, and I saw a plum. What I thought at the time what are you doing over there, Killinger? I was just going to hold up my Dick Prennicky collection. Really? These are all Dick Prennicky videos. Um, we need to get together. <laughs> I've, just got, I've just got the main one. You're all, they're all blurred out. Yeah, it's Alone in the Wilderness. Alone in the Wilderness Part 2, The Frozen North, and Alaska Silence and Solitude. I need those. Anyway, anyway, I went and I got a, um, I saw a plum double bit. At the time, I thought it was a swamper, but after a little bit of research, it became clear that it was a peeler. But I didn't even know what plum was. So what do I do? I get online and I look up plum axes. I hadn't even heard of the brand. And who the fuck do I see? Operator 1975 talking about plum axes. So this is 2012, 2011, 12, 13, that, that era. And uh, I just dug into it, and I started reading everything on blade forms about axes. And then the very next day, and this is – and I still have the axe. It's hanging over my fireplace. I did a little polish on it. Um, 
That's what got me into polishing axes, and it looks like shit today because I've totally neglected it. <clears throat> but um, the following weekend, I went out and I got two hatchets, and one of them I gave away, and it's one of my biggest regrets um, because I didn't know it. At the, I mean, I use this little hatchet all the time. Uh, I'd go camping, just, you know, cutting up kindling, firewood, bullshit stuff. And uh, I used it for years, and then <clears throat> I gave it away. And it's a, it was a Kelly World's Finest little jersey hatchet. And I've got a screenshot of it right here on my freaking computer, reminding me of what this thing looks like all the time. I wonder, I wonder if I can share this with you guys. I'll send this to you guys. But I'm constantly on the hunt for this axe. It's almost like a it's like it's almost like a Kentucky jersey. And it was tiny. I mean it was, you know, twelve twelve to I don't even think it was a fourteen inch handle. Original handle on it. I can't find that freaking thing anywhere. One of my biggest regrets getting rid of that thing. It was the first hatchet I ever got. So throwing that out there into the axe axe sphere. If anyone has a Kelly World's Finest jersey hatchet, hit me up. wonder if that was a salesman sample, if it was that size. No, 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 no. I mean, it, it was a total user. I'm, it had it had um, several wedges that were pounded into it. I tried, I tried seating it better, and it worked fine. Um, <coughs> Sharpen it up, and I used that thing for freaking years, um, and now it's gone out of my life forever, and it makes me sad. Hey, Roy, is that uh, gallons of uh, shiny sauce on the floor there at the table? <laughs> <laughs> shiny sauce back here? Yeah. No, no, the other side, on the floor. Oh, you see that? You can see, see that? that? Shiny sauce? I'm going to block that. Now you can't see it. That is that is a sauce. It's the secret sauce. The trade secrets are out. So there we go. That's uh, I think it. You know, I don't know how many axes you have, Miller. I don't know how many I have. We're, I'm like, what's your number, roughly, Miller? Uh, we just crossed over the 1,200 barrier. Good God, where are you, Chris? Nah, no clue. Maybe less than 200. And I, I'm at 600 or so. But the, the the point of this is that we all remember the first couple pieces, right? We've had tons of them in between. We sold some, traded some, gave some away. Still remember the first ones. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. I remember the first axe that I technically restored was a true American hatchet, which I think I told you about this, Roy Keller German. He might have been asleep dreaming about beef jerky or something. <laughs> but uh, looking back, though, to Roy's point, I was so proud of that hatchet. I had restored. I dyed the handle like this nice, rich, like red mahogany. And you look at it now and you're like, I would not give you $2 for that. It is absolutely terrible. But I will never part with that hatchet because that is the first one that I can remember buying it at the flea market, 
I remember the guy that I bought it from. I can remember the whole resto process and just being proud as a peacock. And now looking back, being like, oh, my gosh, that is absolutely terrible. And that's the whole the whole history and the piece to that. That's You can't put a price tag on that. It's You can't. So it's funny. Um, whenever I was driving – uh, back from town yesterday, there's a, there's a cabinet place, I don't know, 10 minutes away from my house. And every now and then they have a big bucket of just off fall and it just says free on it. And I remember, I don't know, two years ago or so, right whenever I was getting into making my own handles, I stopped there. I got a piece of maple <clears throat> and I, I hand shaped a maple handle for the very first time. And I was so proud of it, right? It was like, oh my God, I made an axe handle. And then I put it on my rack and I haven't touched it. I never sold it. And it is awful. <laughs> it is like a block of wood with some rounded corners on it. It's so thin. Uh, it's not practical at all. So that's another thing, you know, I'm, I'm never ever going to get rid of that axe um and it's 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 a shame because i did a full mirror polish on a plum national so the head is freaking gorgeous but it's on a shitbag handle but i'm never going to get rid of it and it and it it just kind of humbles you you know like man and a lot of a lot of people you know they'll look at they'll look at Chris's work, they'll look at my work, you know, other people doing resto work or whatever, and we get hit up all the time. Oh my God, how do you do this? How do you do that? Well, man, this, this shit didn't happen overnight. And this has taken years of practice and perfection and trial and error and tons and tons of mistakes along the way. So people are always looking for a real quick answer. I do step one, two, and three. Eh, it's never that way. It's never that easy. You think Chris Killinger makes his freaking awesome sheaths? He just woke up one day and go, hmm, I'm going to make the best sheaths in the freaking world, and I'm going to be awesome as soon as I freaking start. No. The stuff, like, talk about one of your first leather projects, Chris. I mean, was it, it was shit. Yet? Huh? <clears throat> it was complete shit. So, yeah, my leather work's evolved, and it's evolved into a style. It, it, it was never like that. You know, you don't just pick up. The tools and like, oh yeah, this is my style and this is how awesome it's going to be. It has to evolve. You have to make mistakes and do some crappy work, but I still have some of my original leather work around somewhere, but it was scrap leather that I picked up somewhere and sewed pieces together to make them big enough to make a sheath and just was rough, you know, rough edges. No. Yeah. Nothing was smooth, shitty, shitty stitching. And, you know, even my stitching over the years, my hand stitches, um, used to not show the backside of your piece because the stitches would always be shitty on the backside. Would they but I've got run wonky or what? Yeah, it just would never work out. And I've gotten to the point now where you can't tell my back from front. They're both shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, whenever you first got started, were you using those shitty little rapid rivets? I mean, I know, um, no, surprisingly, I never used rivets. I could never, I never knew how. 
So I always just stitched because I, I knew how to saddle stitch for some reason. I think I looked it up, but really, how did I know how to saddle stitch? Do you dream of stitches? Yeah, I do. Snitches, yeah. stitches, yo. Yeah. But yeah, I never, I never used rivets really to begin with. I was always, I always sewed stuff. <clears throat> Sewing's always intimidated the shit out of me, man. It's really not. It's easy. And and I, I look at it from a, a, a time constraint, as a, as a time constraint also. That it is. It's time very time consuming. And if you want to do it right, it's, it's taking longer. Yeah. That's why I stopped hand stitching for production, because you can't. You have, to, you have to get the piece done and move on. So. Mm. You can't. You can't. For what you're doing, you can't hand stitch a sheet and no. sell it with your piece at your price point, and will it will never work out. You think you hate leather now? <clears throat> yeah. For the record, everyone in the X, everyone listening to this freaking podcast, I hate leather. I, I mean, if anyone's on Instagram that follows me, they know that I hate leather. I do it out of necessity, um, just because. To Chris's point, um. Where my products fall in line from a price standpoint, it's kind of to be expected, uh, assumed that you're going to get a premium sheath with every product. So I'm, I'm forced, I've been forced to make sheaths. I've gotten better. I only do one, I do two styles, one to fold over top. And then if it's like a half hatch or something, I do the little strap wrap around. Um, but those are the only ones that I do. I don't deviate. Uh, I use rivets and they're good. I use high quality leather that Chris Killinger turned me on to. Um, I don't know anything about leather. I don't want to know anything about leather. The tools that I have are the tools that I'm going to use and that's it. I'm done. Hey, uh, I, I didn't see the sheath for the ham- hammer. What's the style sheath you got? For the hammer? <laughs> so I was actually. <laughs> Dude, I swear I was thinking about that yesterday. Um, I was thinking, oh, God damn, this is awesome. I don't have to make any sheets. And then I thought, I bet someone would want a holster for a freaking hammer, a leather holster. Oh, that, ha- that hammer totally needs a holster. Yeah. So I might do that, or maybe you and I can hook up and maybe we can do something together. Because that would be like a universal fit, dude. Like, you could just crank those out. But I'm not going to get in. I'm not doing fucking hammers. I'm not doing hammers. No, yeah, no, it's perfect. You got this. You, you have a drop in and then have a flap that goes over the top and it has a Sam stud on it. No, 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 no. So, all of a sudden, all of a sudden I, the Vintage Axe Works has now expanded to axes, hatchets, and now small tools, including hammers. I could use a hammer like that. <clears throat> so this is a different one. And by the time this airs, well, I don't know when this is going to air. Someone is getting this. I did this one a couple days ago. Oh, so you're not doing hammers, but now this is the second one in a week? Okay. Second one in a week. <laughs> gotcha. So this, one, this one is a gift. It's free because this follower-turned-friend is fucking awesome. Um, That's a good-looking uh, hammer. It's, it's, it's really freaking good. Um, I've actually had this hammerhead for, I don't know, two years or so just because I picked it up at a junk store 
How'd you get it so black? <laughs> I put black magic sauce on there. I'm glad you asked and I didn't. <laughs> no, I picked this hammer up because it was essentially unused. Um, and, you know, like like to your point earlier on, you just collect tools. And whenever we're out in these junk stores, you just find things that are high quality that you just can't find anymore. I mean, we all we all love freaking tools. We like axes more than anything else, but who doesn't freaking who can't appreciate a, a beautiful plum framing hammer? I mean, it's just yeah. I mean, if you can't look at it and say, "Holy shit, that's cool!" Yeah, you exactly. Yeah, very cool. I'd use this thing. I would too. As a matter of fact, today I would use it. Got some stuff to do. Right to your freaking head. I'm gonna. Uh, I think I got a plum hammer somewhere. I'm gonna look and dig it up and try and make it black. Well, actually, I was at the junk store yesterday and I picked up another hammer. Two more hammers. Yes, <laughs> going in the hammer business. I'm not going to the hammer business. The one, the one that I picked up, I want to, I want to get your all's opinion on this. Um, I've never seen a little hammer like this. It's a Craftsman. Let me, I'll go grab it real quick. Better get your orders in now, boys. Oh, fuck off. Wait. Vintage Axe Works, Axes, Hatchets, and Hammer Supplies. Yep. He's going to have to redo his whole Instagram now. He's going to have to do leather for the hammers. Yeah, wait until you get pulled right in there for the whole leather uh, loop. No, you're, it's you're at, done. It's out in the shop. They're right in the shop. I took uh-huh. But it's like it's like I don't want to say an Art Deco hammer, but it's got um. Draw us the picture. So I'll show you here. I like I'll so it comes down. Um, I don't even know what this is called, like a collar. Sure. And then it there's like it extends down almost maybe three eighths to a half of an inch. It kind of like steps in where it looks like it's on a pedestal, um, and it's gorgeous. I'd never seen anything like it before, so I bought it. Available soon. That's enough about hammers. So, hey, Miller, are you uh, in the position to talk about what uh, you sent Chris and I the other day? That little text message? About the new acquisitions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... uh... Coming soon will be uh, three new old stock pieces. Obviously, if anybody knows me or doesn't know me, they know that I'm into the new old stock. What? So it was, yeah, was was able to obtain another Lincoln axe, brand new, with the original wood box. And what? this one, this one has the different marking on it. So if anybody knows anything about the Lincoln axes, depending on their time frame and who owned the company and when they were made um, with that Lincoln axe, they had that big rainbow going across the top. Aren't there like four variations of it? There are. And so this one is a different variation from the one that I have that you guys have all seen with the handle and everything like that. Just Google Lincoln access Miller's. And, uh, <laughs> this, this one though is a little bit later and it has the, the sun's imprint on there. Ah. So, but again, new old stock has never seen the light of day. I mean, it's pristine, black with the gold inlay, and it comes with the original Lincoln Axe box, which if you guys have never seen those, 
they're a little bit hard to come by. Um, there are axes out there of the Lincoln variety with the different, oh, I don't know what you want to say, different levels of uh, new old stock, you know, condition, whatever. This one has never been touched. It's basically been sitting idle for about 60 years. So I was really excited to get that, seeing that it is different than the one that's up on the, up on the mantle. And then uh, two new old stock, never used black ravens. One is a three and a half pound double bit. The other one is also three and a half pound double bit, but it has octagonal handle on it and it's a wedge pattern. So is it double uh, bit wedge? Yeah, it's the same one as you have, but it's new old stock. Oh shit. I can't wait to see that. Still has a black paint, still has a gold inlay. Nice. Is it, are they, uh, Kelly or American Fork and Hoe? Fork and Hoe on both of them. Yeah. Unfortunately, I prefer the pre 30, but. Yeah. I wonder in the pre 30 how many patterns they made in the pre 30. Well, I can tell you that because I have the catalogs for it. Oh. oh. <laughs> Dude, are you. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know they actually. Yeah, the patterns as history went on, you got to remember, obviously. Pre-1900, the way that I break it down is pre-1900, pre-1920, pre-1940. Basically, once you get to 1940-45 with the war, regardless of whether it's Kelly or Plum or whoever, once the war was over, that was pretty much the death of the axe overall, plus then the death of the imprinted axe or the embossed axe or whatever terminology that you want to use there for the fancy Entrance, the etch, whatever. Those are all done after that because there was no need. The chainsaw had pretty much fully taken over modernization, the manufacturing processes. The thing that really killed the axe there in that time frame was all the resources got pushed to the war effort. Sure. And the axe, and the axe was last man on the totem pole because who needed it? Right. And by that by that time, you had bulldozers, tanks, stuff like that. You could run over everything. It didn't really matter. And the chainsaws were starting to grab traction. So if you go with that time frame, obviously then the earlier that you could go and then match that up with the Kelly time frame of the Kelly Axe Manufacturing Company, obviously being 30 and before, you know, um, Fork and Hoe then taking over. You got the True Temper, blah, blah, blah. That's where that all comes into play in trying to figure out exactly when those were and what they're worth. So it's uh, one of the things as far as trying to nail down that timeline is really, really interesting. And I do have the timeline. I just haven't shared it out there with anybody yet. Uh, but I do have the timeline all broken down as far as who had what, when, and where. Nice. And it's it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. I think you're the biggest axe nerd of them all. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Dude, it's freaking awesome that you have all that stuff. I mean, if if, if anyone hasn't seen uh, all of this stuff in person that Miller is talking about, it is an absolute treasure trove of info that uh, you could spend, I don't even know how much time, just reading everything that he has compiled. It's, it's, it's that's amazing is an understatement. 
I can't believe you have that. What year is that book? 1921. Good God. Is that original copy? It's the original. Look at the, look at the edges are not in the best shape, but the catalog itself is in the best shape that I've ever seen. And you'll flip through here. It has all the different patterns. Um, I mean, you can, I don't want to bust up the catalog, but it's, yeah. Obviously you can see the different ones in there. But as time wore on, you know, 1921 is when the major axe manufacturers basically got together and said, listen, there's no need for all these different patterns. So we're going to try and condense this down into that 2025 range of patterns. Once World War II hit and was over, you can, you condense that down to about 10 patterns, which the vast majority of those were going to be Dayton and Michigan patterns, whether it's single bit or double bit. Yeah. Um, you know, then you had a little bit of the, oh, what do you want to call it? Like the, uh, rekindling of the axe as they tried to specialize it. That's where you get the New Orleans and everything that they tried to do with the campers, the people that are out driving around. And that was actually the second time that they tried to do that. The first time around was in the late twenties to the thirties when the automobile and everything started really taking traction. And everything was going off, and these people were going on the weekends and everything like that. And that's where you get Roy's auto camp axe. Woo! So I, let, let's let's talk about this for a second because that that to me is an interesting story. Um, so I got that auto camp uh, one year ago down in North Carolina. I did a trade on that. Um, that piece was like the talk of the town down in North Carolina, and a guy wanted. Um, a custom vintage axe works piece. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I just did a straight trade with him and I think I posted on Instagram and immediately who contacts me? Mike Miller. Hey, and this is his words. You want to dance on that auto camp? <laughs> and I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> I just got it. I'm still in love with this thing. So from, I guess, July. Until February, whenever we finally met in person, Mike Miller, I would get a text from Mike Miller, like in the middle of the night. Hey, I'm thinking about that auto camp. What you want to do? You want to dance? <laughs> <laughs> so I, we finally, we finally, uh, finally did it and, uh, it's in the proper home now. So Mike Miller has the auto camp back. I wish that I could have any kind of rebuttal or deny that story, but that is 100% true to where <laughs> it would be like one in the morning. I'd wake up and be like, I'm just going to text them. Be like, Hey, so where, where are we at on this? Are we ready to dance? And basically you are. Yeah. For all intents and purposes. I mean, I wore them down just from constant bashing is really what happened. But, uh, well, there, there's, there's one more piece of the story. Um, Whenever, whenever, I don't know, it was about a month into it or, or two months or something, you, you're like, let's get serious about it. And you threw me out an offer and it was crazy over the top offer. Um, and I said no. And as soon as I said no, I told, I told my wife about it and she said, are you crazy? You need to do this. And then I came back to Mike Miller and I said, all right, I'm sorry. Uh, let's go ahead and do the deal. And then Mike Miller 
Here's another thing that people don't know about Mike Miller. If he throws you out an offer or wants to make a deal, it's either all yes or all no or get the fuck out. So I came back and said, yeah, let's do it. And he was all no. He's like, no, that was a sweetheart deal. You missed out. Sorry. And then later on down the road, one in the morning, he's having regrets now. Hey, Roy. Um, <laughs> where are we on that auto <laughs> <laughs> that is, a, in fact, another 100% true story. But uh, that's how it how I normally go um, whenever you're trying to deal with those kind of pieces and the significance that sometimes that they offer, depending on the piece and what's going on. Um, I'm not one of those guys that likes to mess around. I don't fuck around. It's yeah. I, I give very fair offers, I think, whenever I am talking to people. Because I don't like it whenever people come to me and they're like, oh, hey, you have this particular axe. I'm going to give you $20 for that. That's what that's for. And I'm like, all right, bud, thanks. So I try and find a little bit of pride in the fact that whenever I go to somebody and be like, listen, I'm going to give you this offer. Uh, I think it's fair. I think it's, uh, you know, I'm not trying to dick you around or anything like that. And I think that that's where we need to go. And I've had a couple guys that have come back and be like, oh, okay. Yeah, I've thought about it for two or three days. No, I mean, if you're going to negotiate, then you got to be ready to negotiate. And yeah. I don't know. That's just how I do it. Obviously, it's no disrespect to anybody or anything like that. But, like, hey, it's to some point with some of this, there is that business factor. And sometimes you got to stick to that. Uh, but obviously you and I were, you know, we were friends before that and everything and, uh, able to haggle that out, which was a good thing. But that particular piece is one of those pieces that I've always found that, you know, you get guys that say, Hey, listen, I collect taxes and I'm going to do this or the other. And they're only into the, the big shiny pieces and stuff like that. Like if you look back and you look at the history of axes and what was going on when, what that time frame was all about, where the axe industry was, those kind of pieces, whenever you're telling that story, mm-hmm. tell the story way better than, hey, here's a she- here's a real nice shiny Lincoln. Hey, here's a Black Raven. Yeah, we know all that, but like, where was this piece in the particular history? They didn't make a lot of those because it wasn't a very popular piece overall. So when you find something like that that has that particular niche in the time frame, that's that's a million dollars. Yeah, it's pretty fucking cool. What are you holding over there, Killer? It's my, it's my new acquisition. I just thought about it. Uh, it came Monday, right when I was signing on the house, so I didn't even look at it. But it's mail. Yeah. What is it? You're it's all blurry. I can't see it. Yeah, it's, it's all blurry. L.O. Bean, Hudson Bay. What is it? Yeah. Is it because you got your background blurred so we can't see? Your background blurry. Can't see the, if you unblur that background, we'll, we'll probably be able to see, like, the blow-up dolls and stuff. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, now you can see it. So it's the L.O. Bean, Hudson Bay, one and three-quarter pound wedge. Uh, Matthew Justice has has one of these, and I had to I had to get one. It's a pretty neat piece. It is original handle, which is cool, but yeah, the wedge is kind of crappy. But uh, whatever. 
I just figured I'd follow it while while we were talking since I hadn't even looked at it. It's got some writing on the handle, but you can't read it. Snow and Neely made these. Really? For L.O. Bean. <clears throat> so what year would you put that at? You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, Matthew Justice did tell me. I think he said 65 or something. 1965. He actually knows all the history on these. He's kind of a geek on it. So did you did you get it from Matthew Justice or no? No, I bought it on eBay. eBay. Matthew Justice had one. And I was fondling it. And uh I thought Matthew I Justice had one a year ago and then he got he he sold that to uh Brandon. He did. And then he bought another one. He bought another one? Yeah. <laughs> so and when we were at the axe meet, I was fondling it and I'm like, you know, this is a pretty sweet little axe. I mean mm-hmm. it's a it's a cool Hudson Bay pattern. It's one and three quarter pounds, and it's a it's a wedge. I mean, it's just and I've I've seen these before, like up at the New York meet. A guy had one. I tried to buy from him. He didn't want to sell it, but that's okay. I understand that. Um. So I I put out a wanted ad, and the gates flooded with the wrong axe. Everybody was trying to sell me. There's a full size ver- full size version of this. Yeah. So everybody's trying to sell me one of these. And then actually Ryan Lambert. Lambrat. 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 Yeah. He sent me a message on Instagram. He has one. And I uh, was talking to him about it. And then he go he sent me a link to this one on eBay. He's like, you know what, here one here's one that's a better deal, just get this one. And I'm like, Yeah, you're right. So <laughs> I bought it. I grabbed it off eBay, but it was funny because I had already looked on eBay and, and there wasn't one on there. But eBay's dead. eBay's dead. <laughs> but I had this axe that I wanted. It's a sweet handle, man. It's super thin. Yeah. It's got a nice bronze foot on it. Oh, it's because they built this one uh, when it was done right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how do you go from this perfection to the crap we have now? How does that happen? I don't know. And that, that's the whole reason I started making my own handles. You go to freaking Ace Hardware or your local hardware store or Home Depot or Lowe's and you're getting a freaking baseball bat. I mean, they're clubs. They've got no, they've got no shape to them. They got no curves. They got no lines and. The freaking grain is just all junk. They're horrible. So, yeah, that's why I started making my own handles. So that's a question that actually comes up a lot, just to jump in with the historical perspective, so I guess I can earn my keep on this podcast. <laughs> oh, shit. Is Thanks for joining Yeah, hey, glad to be here. Uh, <laughs> so if you look at that, because that's a point that's brought up a lot, right? Like, hey, oh, my gosh, from, like, 1970 especially on, it's basically a baseball bat with a Michigan pattern head on it. Like, what happened? Where's – and the, the simple reason is is business and economics. There was nobody buying axes, okay? And, I, and I'm a perfect example of that when I tell that story of that Boy Scout hatchet. Like, when we were out there, we were cutting wood and everything. You There wasn't an axe. Like, you had a mall – or then you had a log splitter. And right. we had uh, the boy's axe 
which was basically for pounding wedges. And that was it. Like there was no wax. Like you weren't out there, you know, limbing or felling or anything like that. And so I think basically what happened just from an economic standpoint, they're like, listen, why are we going to try and put all this money into these machines or to have some guy make sure that the quality is there for these handles when technically who cares? Because it's going to get used as a sledge for the most part. I mean, look at some of those old axes that are out there and you get those poles and they're all mushroomed over and everything. I mean, guys were just beating the shit out of this stuff all the time. And I, you know, it wasn't like in the twenties where like these guys are out in the logging camps and they're using that tool to basically survive and earn a living for their family. Right. 1920 to 1960, 70, you know, 50 years. I think sometimes that context gets lost where we're like, oh, well, how can that happen? Like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly what happened, especially now. Like, you know, we're, we're 100 years past really the, the golden age of everything. But it's great, though, that now that we have guys that are out there spending the time doing the handles, serving them justice and making them correctly the way that they should be. And that's what's really exciting to me is that, you know, the, the restoration in that historical perspective is being kept and those are going to last now forever. And that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 100%. I'd like to think all the, the stuff that I'm doing is going to last another generation, another lifetime. I mean, yeah, sure. Handle's going to break here or there. Um, but I mean, honestly, the, the percentage of my customers that are using my pieces, I don't, I don't know what that number is, but it's probably from users to collectors. I don't know. What, what do you, what do you think, Killer, on my, on a vintage experts piece? Probably 20, 25% users. Users? So 75% of my pieces are just save for posterity. But you got you got to think too you, if you take that as a whole out of everybody that collects axes a very small per- percentage of them actually use them. Yeah. So I I know that I've got some pretty hardcore users um yeah. pieces. Of what? Yeah, because they, they contact you whenever they tear their shit up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's awesome. I, I love it whenever people use my pieces. Everything that I send out, uh, is in usable condition. Um, everything's razor sharp. Everything's wedged properly. Um, but yeah, a lot of them are just going to get thrown in the corner as a conversation piece or, uh, you know, it's a, it's a piece that has been handed down, like Miller's talking about, you know, oh, I got this for my dad or from my dad or whatever, and they just want to stay, they want that piece to stay in the family because it brings back so many memories of them being a kid, like, you know, I, oh, I, I chopped wood with my old man with this thing all the time, and I just want to keep it in the family and and just, just hang on to it. Um, I think that that whole piece of American history is also lost. People don't do shit today. People don't freaking do anything. So I don't know. I don't know when, because we're all like, how old are you, killer? You're pushing 40, right? 
I am 40. You're 40. I'm 41. Miller's like 43 or something like that. I am, in fact, 43, yes. So we can all remember using tools. Are kids today using tools at all? I mean, are they out splitting wood with their old man? I mean, like, we could have kids, so we would be teaching our kids stuff, but the the vast majority of people, are they actually going out in the woods and using tools or taking their kids out to the wood shop or shit? I don't, I don't know. I'm so out of touch with that stuff. I don't have kids. I don't know. <clears throat> I know nobody's bailing hay like I did when I was a kid. Yeah. I don't even see those old bailers anymore. There was talk out there I saw in a post, and I, I apologize. I can't remember where it was. Um, it was on one of the Facebook groups. But they talked about axes being one of the first, like, commercial replaceable tools. And that's how we got to the level of how many are still out there. Because really, if you stop and think about it, you know, you you it doesn't make any sense for Kelly to produce however many millions that they were doing per year. Like Man Edge, I know from one of the advertisements I have, in 1913 was making a million axes a year. Yeah. All right. So, you know, up through, at least through the 30s, you had Kelly, Man Edge, Warren, Plum, blah, blah, blah. All those guys were probably making somewhere from 500,000 to a million axes a year. So just stop and think about that for a second. So you got, what, 450,000, um, 5 million axes a year fled in the market. Did that really represent then the first time that a major tool was just a basic replaceable economic item? Where it was like, oh, I'm just going to use it, and then if it gets dull, all right, screw it. Oh, my handle breaks, I'm just going to throw it away. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Like, that was something that I found really interesting that somebody had posted out there. And, again, I, I forget. I'll find it later. But um, that sort of represented a piece of that axe age in the tool history that once the modernization had come with it, that they had become expendable. Right. So you had to get guys into the hardware shops in order to be able to buy these axes that technically was an expendable tool now. So how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going I'm to put my fancy Kelly registered stamp on there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to put my fancy Plum Victory stamp on there. I'm going to put this man or this Warren. This is a chemical process. This is so special that it's never going to rust. You know, if I'm Joe Blow and I go walking into a hardware store, well, if I don't want to have to work on this, I don't want it to rust. Oh, look at this one here. The Sager has a chemical bluing process. It's not going to rust. I'm going to buy that. So, like, that whole marketing, um, advertising, replacement piece, I think sometimes is a little bit overlooked in the whole axe history game and just how important that that was. They're basically like the automobiles before the automobile really hit. Like, everybody had to have one at some point. You had to have a regular axe. You had to have a house axe, maybe a hatchet, whatever it was. And you marketed the shit out of that, but yet they were still replaceable because you were making a billion of them a year. Mm-hmm. And some, sometimes that sort of gets lost in the whole axe history piece. I completely agree. Um, I'm trying to look. I can't find it. I'm trying to look. So um, Nathan Trueblood, 
invited me up to the Kelly, um, the old Kelly, Indiana, Alexandria plant where it burned down. Was it last year or 2000? It might have been 2017. So maybe I'm looking in the wrong. I'm looking at my pictures here. Um, and we got to meet the landowners. Um, and they had several articles, uh, from local newspapers and I, and it gave actual production numbers and I took a picture of it and I'm trying to freaking find it, but the numbers were crazy freaking high of how many axes were being produced just out of the Kelly Alexandria plant alone. And I, I cannot find it. God dang it. Can't find it. But it, it, it was, um, astronomically like, high, astronomically high. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm still scanning my photos here to try to find these freaking pictures of these, this newspaper article. Um, shit. All right. Well, here I got one from the Kelly catalog and let me get my cat let me get my calculator out. So this is the Kelly uh 1921 catalog okay and it has a picture in here of the groundworks and everything like that the whole entire plant was on 40 acres the never shut down for 20 years so i'll read to you exactly what it says here in the catalog okay kelly axe and tool works the world's largest axe and edge tool Factory, Charleston, West Virginia. Daily capacity, 48,000 axes and tools. Covers 40 acres. Comprises over 50 large buildings of brick, steel, and concrete structure. Equipped with the latest and best machines and devices for making and handling its products. Has its own electric power plant. Has 4,000 feet frontage on the Kanawa, and I apologize if I'm saying that wrong, Kanawa River with harbor and terminal facilities for its own fleet of boats and barges. Kelly Quality built this great plant and it has not shut down in over 20 years. It has turned out access continuously day after day except during the panic of 1908. So if you do a quick calculator check and somebody can double check my math here. What's the panic? Uh, panic in 1908. Was that like a depression, like pre-depression? I thought the depression was in the 30s. Uh, I think Spanish flu. Yeah, ask the educated guy. So Wait, you're both educated. <laughs> so just stop and think about this: 48,000 daily. That's 17.5 million a year. Yeah, out, that's of, out of one plant. That's nuts. So now you're talking 1921, 17.5 out of Kelly. Who knows what man's doing? 1913, I told you they could do a million. Who knows what they're doing by that time? Who knows what Warren is doing? Plum was doing everything, axes, hammers, sledges, uh, everything else, files. They got into the file game. Collins was big until, you know, the flood hit. I mean, they're just pounding out stuff. Again, the majority of their things are going to South America. So just stop and think about the sheer number of axes coming out of those big five. And that doesn't even include 
the little guys or what we would consider not the big five, Emerson and Stevens, all those Northeast guys right. that, um, that they all love, stuff like that. It's trying to wrap your mind around that. It's astronomical. It's crazy. And, and the interesting thing about that is especially those, you know, pre-1930, 1920 pieces, if they're cranking out that freaking many, how many, how many do you have? How many do I have? How many does Chris have? Not very many. And, and, and it's crazy that at one point cranking out millions and millions, but truly out in the world existing today, they're not easy to come by. They're, they're just not. And it really shows you like which lines were being produced more so than others, just from a, a volume perspective. So if anybody is remotely familiar with axes, obviously the Flint Edge line from Kelly, they're out there. You can right. find them pretty readily. There's, you know, unless they have that special stamping with the forge and stuff like that or the best made, blah, blah, blah. Those ones are pretty much out there. The plumb line, the plumb with the, uh, the rectangle that started, I believe, in 1917, if I remember right. Those are out there. And then all the different subsets that come with that. Genuine Plum, Plum Victory, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Collins and everything came along with that. Man Edge. So where are they? Where do they go? Did they sit in the ground somewhere? Did they get recycled? Did they get turned into well, gotta, tools? Like, you know, where are they? What happened? You got to think during the war effort, a lot were probably melted down. Exactly. And then... 2000, what, 2008 through t- 2010 when scrap prices were high? Or maybe it was, was it before that or after that? I think it was after that when scrap prices were so high. Imagine how many buckets of axes got thrown in the scrap pile. Yeah. I mean, people were gutting houses because scrap was so high. You know, they were stealing the copper and the wire out of houses. That's how it Nuts it got. So you can imagine any any axe head laying around got tossed right in there. So but but there's still a lot to be had. Look how many times people uncover stuff. Even with as popular it is now, people are still uncovering things. Yeah, like a new old stock Lincoln. <laughs> Where do you even find something like that? That doesn't even exist. Does his name start with Jim? No, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's all about who you know. It's not about what you know. So it's the same as with any other kind of tool or anything like that. But to bring up your point is, you know, where did all these go? Obviously, I think a ton of them got recycled through the years. I think um, there's still a ton out there. So whenever I was up there at the Collins factory, whenever that was, a couple months ago, one of the interesting stories that they told me up there is that there was a gentleman there that was running the museum and his grandfather worked at the Collins plant. And every once in a while, this gentleman got to go with his grandfather and he got to go and just basically sit in the plant while everything was going on. And his old man worked one of the trip forges or the trip hammers in the plant. And he told the story of whenever the, the guys would go to leave at night that they took everything that they 
Oh, no. Miller stopped. He froze up. Give it a second. Right, right where the story was getting good. Seriously. Freaking internet. Here it goes. Are you back, Miller? We back? Yeah. All right. So I'm not sure where I lost you. But anyway, so there was this gentleman that had his, his grandfather worked at the Collins plant. And he got to tag along a couple times. And he told the story of then whenever they would shut down after shift work was over, that these guys would leave. And they carried out everything that they could possibly haul in their pants. <laughs> really? Axes, hatchets, Pulaski's, whatever it was. And the Collins people turned their head the other way because they loved the workers so much. And so I got to talking to them about, you know, the plant. And we eventually got on to the thing about advertising. And he said that they're was a gentleman there in town that had a huge stack of the old Collins original advertising that he had hauled out and is in his attic. And I'm like, all right, so where does this guy live? Give me his address right now. I'm going there, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, no, 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 we can't, you know, this, that, or the other. But to the point of that stuff, it's out there. Yeah. It's not. It, it's not very popular there's not a lot of guys looking for it and one of the things you know like if you take a look at the i don't know what's the population in the united states 330 million you got blade forms you got axe junkies you got roy and his however many thousands of followers 30 some thousand followers now like if you look at what that actual percentage of the population is and who is actually interested in this subset it is so minuscule that it's unbelievable but that stuff is still out there. So, again, it's all about talking to the right person at the right time and getting to it. But it, it's out there. And hopefully, as we continue this whole thing, like that Collins Museum, uh, hopefully I can then be able to get into something like that here later on to be able to preserve that history. But they're out there. It's They're not that popular. Right. Uh, but we got to find them. All right. So, listen. I found I found this freaking thing, okay? This article. I want to read I want to read a little bit of this. It says um, by 1900 the Kelly Alexandria factory was one of the largest industries in Madison County. Um, blah, 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 blah. The fame of the Kelly Axe was so widespread that between 80,000 and 90,000 dozen were manufactured and shipped each month. So this is 1900, 80 to 90,000 dozen per freaking month. So do that math. It's 13 million a year. 13 million a year from the Kelly Alexandria plant. In my collection, I have four. And one of two of those four are pieces that Nathan and I dug up. It's crazy. So I have only found two pieces on my own. Oddly enough, that's two more than me. You don't have any Alexandria pieces, Miller? No. I don't think I do either. 
So one of the pieces I know that I say eBay is dead. So what um, I did find one on eBay and I took a risk on it because if you notice the the Kelly Perfect pattern, um, the bevels got shallower as time went on. So the the Kelly the Kelly Perfect out of Louisville, those two bevels almost meet on opposing sides. There's very very uh, very little steel in between the bevels from the front and the back. They go to Alexandria, that distance gets a little bit wider. They go to uh, Charleston, and they're what we see today, you know, just the standard bevels. So whenever I saw this piece on eBay, it was just advertised as a Kelly Perfect, a WC Kelly Perfect jersey. Um, and I could just tell by the how deep the bevels were that, that might be an Alexandria piece. And sure as shit, I got it home, did a little cleanup on it, and you can faintly see Alexandria on there. So uh, this goes to the point of just educating yourself. If you want to get into axes, and I mean, just like anything else, uh, if you want to find the deal, uh, you have to know what you're look, looking for and looking at and be able to be able to pop whenever it comes up. So a little bit of education goes a long freaking way in this business. I thought you didn't do eBay. You told me eBay was dead. eBay's dead. This was over a year ago. Um, I only get on eBay, I don't know, twice a week. And I just do general scans. I don't I don't sit there and thumb through all of these freaking pages like everyone else does. And, oh, mail call, mail call, I got this from eBay. I don't have time for that, and I don't have the money for it. So if anyone wants to go out and spend ten thousand uh, dollars for a brand new axe collection, go on eBay, do it. Uh, you can have a collection overnight. But the fascinating thing to me is that the acquisition stories. You know, hey, so here I'll, I'll take an example. So I found Kelly, a Kelly Perfect. Louisville piece in Michigan. Walked into this guy's shop and it's just laying on his workbench. I got this lead from a person um, that it doesn't matter. It's a long story. Um, so you can tell that story and you remember exactly how you got it or you can say hey, I got this piece on eBay and that's the end of the story. Which one do you like better? Yeah, it's as simple as that. And part of this it goes back to what Chris has been saying for years now. It's all about the hunt. Um, the hunt is the fun part about it. And like I said, you can go and amass a huge, amazing collection right off of eBay. Or you can go out on a Sunday, on a Saturday with your wife, your significant other, whatever, and go out at junk stores, go to auctions, go to flea markets. Involve your kids, and you can make this into a really fun hobby that you'll have stories to freaking tell forever. Or, you know what? Oh, if I got on eBay, and it was a buy it now, and I clicked yes, buy it. <laughs> what kind of fucking story is that? It's a lame story. But there are some pieces on eBay that are worth getting because 
they're just rare enough that you, you're probably never going to find them out in the wild. Uh, I, like, I like the sleepers. I like it when you go on eBay and there's a freaking... You stumble upon an axe that's by an hour for 50 bucks and it's, or 20 bucks or $25 and it's worth so much more. Yeah, those are cool. You don't see them often, but they're very exciting when you do. I agree. Um, and again, like you can, I would spend so much freaking money if I spent any time on eBay because there are so many good pieces out there. I'm the same way. It, it's it's just one of those things where you, you have to turn it off or you're gonna your wife is gonna kill you because I used oh, to have, honey, I don't have any money. I just bought a whole bunch of axes off of eBay. I used to have all these notifications set up on eBay and, and I was just constantly every single day on eBay looking everywhere, you know, for whatever axes and then I was just buying. Like in it, it's like you say, you run out of money before you run out of time. So. Yeah. So you guys want to hear a good story with that? Yeah. Miller Miller snipes us all. <laughs> <laughs> so so Roy brings up a good point. Like, hey, listen, you know, if you're gonna get into this and you're gonna do it via eBay, then you're gonna get sucked in, and something's got to give at some point, right? So this was years ago now. This is probably five, six years ago. Obviously, out patrolling eBay and blah, blah, blah. And the Coca-Cola hatchet that I have up on the mantle was on eBay. Yeah. And I had already bought who knows how many axes that week, um, flea market, antique stores, eBay, whatever. So it comes up, and I'm like, all right, so I have to have it. First of all, I mean, so that's game over. And I'm like, all right, so now I'm looking at the bank account, and I'm like, all right, so I only have this much left. I mean, we're basically on fumes at the time. And I'm like, well, I got to have this hash. I don't know when the next time I'm going to see it is. And, well, which it ended up being six years to see the next one. So um, just like Roy said, basically – I buy the hatchet. I don't have the funds for it at the time. Talking to the wife at the time, and I'm like, hey, listen, uh, we got to do this, this, and this. And she's like, well, I don't understand. What's going on? I'm like, well, you know, I bought some axes this week, and uh, we don't quite have the funds that we need to have until middle of next week. Right. Not a good conversation to have with your spouse. <laughs> no. Especially for something that really at that particular time presents no value whatsoever. Right. Uh, so you, you do, you've got to be careful with that because it can become something where it just overwhelms you. To Chris's point, you're getting notifications every day and hey, this is out there, this is out there, blah, blah, blah. So it's just like anything else. You got to be careful. You got to know what you're looking for. You got to know um, a little bit about the value. And the term that I heard or that I hate the most is worth, especially right. when someone else is like, hey, so what's this worth? Um, it's worth what you're willing to pay for it. Which is the classic phrase, but like your worth and my worth and Chris's worth might be three right. different three different sets of figures. So there's no way that I can tell you what something is worth and you can't tell me what it's worth. Uh, but 
you got to be careful with that because sometimes I can get you in a pickle and I was in that pickle once and I told myself I would never go back there again because it's, it's, it's not cool. 1200 axes later. Yeah. So (laughs) did he actually learn his lesson? Uh, I don't know. All right, I can get off here, guys. Okay. You just want to wrap it up? Yeah. All right, so you guys got anything else to say, tidbits, wrap-ups, anything like that? So if this airs before Friday, um, I have another hammer available. Fuck off. Um, <laughs> this airs before Friday. There's an axe meet in North Carolina. It's the Appalachian Axe Meet. It's on Facebook. It is a private event. You have to pay for camp spot and everything. I will be there. Um, I encourage everyone that can make it to get there. It's a lot of fun. It's on the river. There'll be a lot of, um, tons of axes, tons of cool guys, tons of shirts. What? Some heavy hitters. Some heavy hitters, exactly. Lots of fun. So, I would encourage everyone to get out if you can. Um, we'll be there Friday through Sunday morning. What about you, Miller? Any parting words? Uh, this is the best thing that I've ever been involved in, and I want to do it again tomorrow, but obviously that's not going to happen. Um <laughs> uh, so we will plan accordingly for this. So hopefully everybody enjoys this. I will put this out on Instagram. I will put it out, obviously, on all the different podcast surfaces. Uh, let's see. It's Thursday morning. I'll get with you guys. We'll see whenever we want to post it. If you want to do it later on tonight or, or Friday or whatever is going to work for us. Uh, but I just really appreciate this. This is awesome. I can't handle it. This is right in my it's, it's right in my wheelhouse. I mean, to be able to get up and talk about axes and, and go. So this is uh, probably one of the best things I've ever been involved in. It's it's killing me that I can't get to these axe meetups on uh, on a more regular basis because of work. But we'll get that rectified, especially for next year, because I have some ideas on stuff that I want to bring, be able to show and and share, and uh, hopefully educate people on. But this is the best thing I've ever been involved in. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to be a part of it also. You guys are freaking awesome. Um, I, ne- I never I never would have thought that my life would be where it is today. Um, it's so different than uh, where it was five years ago. Uh, I loved Axis five years ago, but I never thought it would be a business, and I never thought that I'd be hanging out with Chris Killinger and uh, Operator 1975. So thank you guys for uh, having me. I really appreciate it. Kellinger, before we go, I want to uh, congratulate you on the new house purchase and everything that looks like uh, is coming along with that. That looks really awesome. I can't wait to get over there and and uh, cut some trees out. Oh, it's gonna be awesome. And it's, do some yard work. It's literally the an axe axe man's dream. I can just walk out and point at a tree and chop it down. Now, obviously, I won't for all those tree huggers. <laughs> There's there's a lot of dead ash on the property. That I'll I'll take care of all the dead ash first. That's awesome. And if I get through that, then I'll look out hickory. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's exciting. I, I've always wanted to live in the woods and um, in a remote place. And 
you know, the reality of that and having a job and, and a family and all the, the rat race is, it's just not, it's usually not possible. And this, this property makes all that possible. I went out there last night real quick. <clears throat> it's the first time I've been there at night and it's, it's, it's just completely pitch black. It's like, yeah, he might as well be, yeah, he might as well be in the middle of nowhere because it just, there's no light pollution, no nothing. And, I heard a uh, bunch of growls and moans. I didn't know if that was you or the animals out there. <laughs> <laughs> so there's two ponds, and when you're standing on the front porch, you got a pond on each ear. So the frogs are going back and forth in stereo. It's just it it's nuts. And then out in front in the woods was a pack of coyotes, and they were close. And that was what I was trying to capture on that video. I, didn't, I couldn't get my phone out fast enough. Um, I caught it just at the end. I thought that was your stomach. <laughs> no, you can hear him. You can hear him yapping, howling, and stuff right at the end of the video. But man, were they loud! It's the loudest I've ever heard coyotes in my life. I mean, you, I've heard coyotes like that, but not that loud. So they were probably right off in the woods, maybe a hundred yards. Just it's nuts. So yeah, I'm excited. That's awesome. I'm really I'm happy. I'm happy for you. I mean, I've told you that a hundred times. So you and Tiff um, deserve this. So. Congrats. We look forward to uh, next year's maybe maybe next year's uh, axe hounds meet will be epic. So here's my suggestion for axe meets: future axe meets, spring and fall only. The February one at your place was miserable because it was freezing. The one last month was miserable; <laughs> it was sweltering freaking hot. <laughs> so spring and fall only. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But there were so many axe meets this year, it was just hard to squeeze one in. Dude, I've done yours, done Leafs, I've done yours again, and then Ohio, and now North Carolina, and I'm just going to throw this out there, I'm going to be having an open house at Vintage Axe Works in October. So, I mean, it's five or six, six freaking meets. Um, Is that going to be a weekend that I'm off to come to Kentucky? Uh, I sure hope so. Well, should, we need to we need to plan that shit first. Okay? Yeah, you need to coordinate with Miller on the weekend. Yeah, so I'm all jacked up on the weekends. Yeah. So I've got a tentative date. It's October the 12th. Um, there is some flexibility. So I don't know how I'm gonna coordinate all of this, but I am gonna put it out on Instagram. Um. There are a few people out there that think that I might get overwhelmed with people if I'm just opening up to the public. Uh, so I might have to limit how many people can come just for, from a logistical and facility standpoint. But, um, I don't know, more details to come. Just throwing that out there, uh, that I want to have something here at the house. I know I get a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of followers commenting on my shop. Um, because it's, I put it out there all the freaking time. I'm always in my shop. Um, and I'm tired of driving places. So <laughs> everyone drive to me. <laughs> I'm off. I'll be there. Are you really off? You've already checked your schedule? I'm off. I'll be there. October the 12th. We're doing it. Killer, you might make it happen too. My birthday is October 10th. So <laughs> what, what, what? we're going to celebrate your birthday. I got a bag of dicks. I got a bag of dicks. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, on that note, thanks everybody for tuning in. <laughs> We're All right, I gotta get going. Yeah, so let's wrap this up. We're at a uh, hour twenty three minutes, which is about perfect. Yep. Wanna wanna thank everybody for checking this out. Obviously, we're gonna put this out on all the media that we can. Big thank to Roy, big thank to uh Chris Kellinger and Automotive and Cement Repair. And, uh, <laughs> everything that uh that has been talked about today. Like I said earlier, this is the best thing that has ever happened to me, and I'm I don't even know what to do. I'm so taken aback. We're gonna keep this thing going. At least once a week going forward, the three of us will have this. Maybe some guests, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, but thank you guys for all tuning in. Stay tuned. This will all be uploaded to iTunes, Google, Podbean, whatever podcast that I can find. This has been awesome. We appreciate you guys checking in. Three dudes that love axes and everything that comes with it. Stay tuned. More to come. Legitimus Podcast. Out. Peace.